Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk and Buckeye Future Fridays, but the future is now. Doug Blay Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. So we were discussing, I'm here. It's the, the Buckeye Future Fridays are Nathan and Stephen, B and BFFs. But I'm allowed in for this one because we're doing Kyle McCord, CJ Stroud, and Jack Miller. But Nathan, I'm I'm not a BFF. No, I, as I explained, this is like you're the kid who has like a December fifth birthday, so you got the PlayStation early. We have to wait till Christmas, so for like three weeks, you get to have friends because we'll come over, pretend to be your friend, and um, eat your taquitos or whatever, and play your PlayStation. But once we get ours, you're in the dust. And so, and yeah, go ahead, Stephen. Um, I actually have the perfect analogy to kind of piggyback off that. The PlayStation 5 restocks have just been, you know, a headache to, to, get, to maneuver through. And my roommate just got one, and he actually he ordered it two weeks ago. And he's still waiting for it to show up, and so he's been walking around with a bit of an attitude. That's exactly who you are. You're the guy who got their PlayStation 5 on the first, you know, rollout of them, and the rest of us are still waiting. So now we have to hang out with you because we want to play a PlayStation 5. And I do think Mrs. Maurice may have made a phone call to Mrs. Baird and Mrs. Means and just begged, said, we got, I got an extra big, extra large bag of Cheetos. We have, we have, you know, the Mountain Dew with the most caffeine. Like if the boys could please come over and just hang out in the basement for like an hour. So this is going to be one of those again, where it's like, I have two controllers and it's going to wind up being a lot of like you guys both playing and me watching you play. Yeah. Good, good one there, Steven. Great job. So we're gonna That's do exactly that. Would be, yeah, it would be us coming over yeah. to your house and then you watching us play your video games for like six yeah, yeah, yeah. hours and get us snacks. So get ready for an hour and 45 minutes of that. Um, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do like a 25 minute breakdown and we got to stick to the clock because we got a lot to do today. 25 minutes each on Jack Miller, CJ Stroud, and Kyle McCord. And we're going to kick it off with 10 minutes of basketball talk because Ohio State is playing Oral Roberts in the first round of the NCAA tournament on Friday afternoon. We have, we'd get our overall podcast about the NCAA bracket and our snack bracket. And the snack bracket first uh, votes are out. We'll be voting like at 5 o'clock every day. So they went out Wednesday at 5 p.m. the first four games. Votes are coming through. Lots of participation. Enjoying it so far. If you want to be part of that and vote in our gas station snack bracket, 614-350-3315 for a 14-day free trial. And also sports information on Ohio State Spring Football, which starts Friday and the NCAA tournament, which starts Friday for Ohio State. So let's do 10 minutes, Stephen, on this game. We all gave our picks for Ohio State. We all think they have a chance to make a run, but they also are playing a, a 15 seed with at least a little bit of juice here in the first round. So go ahead and, and tell us a little bit 
let's start off, just give like a quick profile of Oral Roberts for, it's in Oklahoma. That's my contribution. Am I, well, go ahead. What's the profile of this team and how they play that Ohio State's facing in round one? Your contribution is it's in Oklahoma. That's awesome. Yeah, Oral Roberts, they won the Summer League Tournament Championship on the back of Max Asmus. I know it's, it's spelled A-B-M-A-S, but it is pronounced Max Asmus. And he led the nation in scoring at 24.4 points per game. That's the, the trigger guy to watch here. And earlier this week, I wrote a post just kind of breaking down and mapping out how Ohio State can get to the Final Four. And it starts with my, my first little bullet point is – no room for Cinderella. And this, their profile matches the type of team with the type of player that we love to fall in love with in March. The Stephen Curry Davidson, the CJ McCollum Lehigh, the Gordon Hayward Butler back in those early years. You know, the team, they're a mid major program that isn't, you know, they don't have a lot of historically great teams, but for some reason, they've got this potential NBA player on their team. And he gets hot in March, and he starts getting the ball rolling. Now, Oral Roberts may not be in the best position to do that as a 15 seed. A lot of those teams were 10 and 9 and 5 seeds in order to do that. Now, Lehigh, I think, was a 15 seed, so they would fit under that when they beat Duke. But the idea of you've got a team that shoots a lot of threes. They make 11.1 threes per game, which also led the nation. They get the threes up, and Max Aismas, he will pull from anywhere. He's been watching Stephen Curry and Damian Little highlights. He will pull from half court if he feels like he's in a rhythm and he can knock down that shot and his coach isn't going to yank him out of the game. So if he gets hot, I don't know if they can beat Ohio State, but he can make some things very stressful for Ohio State for at least 30 minutes. And we've seen that from teams throughout the Big Ten tournament, make things stressful for Ohio State, even if they didn't ultimately pull out a win. That's where Oral Roberts is. I just want to point out Stephen just referred to 2010 as the early days. It was the early day. Listen, if, if, listen, listen, if I could not drive yet during the NCAA tournament, it's the early days. Gotcha. Yeah. CJ McCollum, they were a 15 uh, in 2012 when Lehigh beat Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, CJ McCollum is one of the 25 best players in the NBA. So this kid's not that, but it's an interesting comparison. And thing, we don't want to scare Ohio State fans too much. Nate, Steven, it's a little bit open of like, well, if they shoot 58% from three-point range, Ohio State might be in trouble, right? I mean, that's not what teams do, but they shoot so many of them, and this guy's going to get off some shots, right? I mean, like, they can't shut this guy down because he has a ball in his hand all the time, and he's used to this. And I read a, a column by an Oklahoma writer that said they thought Asmus was the second best player, college basketball player in the state of Oklahoma this year behind Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State who's going to be the number one pick in the draft. Like, that's what we're talking about. Like, they're saying this guy at Oral Roberts is better than anybody at Oklahoma, right? Better than anybody at Tulsa, better than any – like, a lot of these other teams, this guy is a high-level player, but they have a second guy, Stephen. So it's just – you know, they're an 18-point underdog to Ohio State, but if they get hot, which is what the tournament is about – but they at least have some of the pieces in place to have the potential to get hot, and they're going to jack threes. Yeah, you're talking about Kevin O'Banner, 18 points a game, nine and a half rebounds. He's the mid-major version of what EJ Liddell is, around the same size, six seven, six foot eight, 225 pounds. Kind of is a, a, a now he's not the size of a post player, but he plays like a post player. He plays bigger than he actually is, and so that'll be an interesting matchup as well. But you're right. The 17 and a half, 18 point 
favorite that Ohio State is actually kind of makes sense because it's based on at some point Oral Roberts is going to go cold. Yeah, they're going to knock down a couple of them. You shoot 40 of them and you hit 10 of them. I mean, that's not a great percentage, but that's 30 points, you know, off a of, of 10 three-pointers. So, yeah, they're going to hit some three-pointers. You should expect that. And so it's really more about Ohio State's offense not aiding that by turning the ball over, having live ball turnovers, and letting this, this team get rolling. But at some point, it's gonna, it's probably going to go cold, and that's probably where Ohio State makes its run, and that's why you get a, a, a point spread like you have with this game. This, this team, like, they lost games during the year. Again, we don't want to make them sound better than they are. They were the four seed in their own conference tournament in the Summit mm-hmm. Conference. They beat the number one seed on a tip-in at the buzzer in the semis and then won the final. This is the same. A couple years ago, Ohio State played South Dakota State in the first round. I remember South Dakota State had, like, one guy who could really score. He was more like a more typical mid-major guy who just, like, somebody on your team has to fill it up. I can't remember his name. But I remember the South Dakota State stuff. It was like, oh, South Dakota State. But Oral Roberts feels like a, just a different level team to me, to that South Dakota State team. Nathan, we've seen it. We know sort of what the profile of an underdog looks like. And the one thing here that I think matches up, and I, I guess I'd, I'd be curious about both of your opinions on this, Ohio State is an offense-first team, right? They're not – I mean, their, their profile is their top five in the country in offense, top 75 in defense. If you're playing a running-gun, three-point shooting team with like a, that has two guys who can really score, would you rather be an offensive team or a defensive team? Like, would you rather be like, hey, we're going to lock these guys down, we're not worried about it, or would you rather be like, well – Maybe they'll get theirs, but they are never going to stop us. And we'll win the shootout, no doubt about it. We don't care if they make 23s. We will still outscore them, which would profile better against Oral Roberts. It's tough because I think what you're describing makes sense, except you can't sometimes control whether the ball's going in, even when you're moving the ball and taking the right shots. And that, that does leave you vulnerable if you're bad on defense. You know what I'm saying? I, and I don't know, relative to the, the field, Ohio State is kind of just adequate on defense, I would say. Relative to Oral Roberts, though, they're better on defense. I, I think the reason that this, this point spread makes sense is Oral Roberts is a bad defensive team. And that's where, yeah. um, that's where there's some vulnerabilities for them that, would, that might make them a, a tough upset pick just because I don't know if they can really contain the – what, what Ohio State does spread across the floor. I think I'd rather be the good offensive team and be like, because sometimes you can be a great defensive team, but if you just haven't faced them exactly and they're making 24-footers with the hand in their face, but then Ohio State's be like, okay, come down, move the ball, move the ball. CJ, drive, dish to justice, swing to justice. Like, I just think, Stephen, I, I do think as, as much as Oral Roberts, just I, I think the more you dig into Oral Roberts, the more holes you would find. But they are a very, like a first blush coming in unknowing about them, NCAA tournament thing. You look at them and you, you go, huh, for a 15 seed, which a lot of times you don't do. We've been, Ohio State's been a one and two seed enough where the 15 or 16 seed they're playing is like, oh, God, it's like playing a high school team. This is nothing. When you look at Oral Roberts, you don't think that. But I do think the, the offensive profile of, of Ohio State, Stephen, is the kind of profile I would want. Maybe you don't stop them, but you're really almost like 99% going to outscore them. Especially in basketball today, where there's a, such a high skill level on the offensive side of the ball to where, yeah, you can play the best defense of your life, but if he makes a shot, he makes a shot. Good, great defense beats great, great offense beats great defense any day. And so, yeah, I'd rather have the team where 
as Ohio State is, if you're going to be unbalanced like this, you can do enough to get stops and timely possessions, but more importantly, you can keep up scoring and keep yourself into that game because you can be an elite defensive team. There are some teams like that, but if a team gets hot, it doesn't matter how elite your defense is if you're there getting a great contest, but they're making the shot anyway. I'd be more nervous if I were Ohio State if I was playing whatever, the Princeton version or the whatever, some kind of lockdown defensive team that's like the best defensive team in the country, but they only average 40 points a game on, on offense, and they're going to try to beat you 40-38 and lock you down and then hold the ball on offense. And it's like, man, if they actually have a plan where like they have somebody who can guard Dwayne Washington and they're going to double EJ Liddell and help on defense, I would be more nervous about that for Ohio State if I was playing a small team like that. So I, I think this is okay. I would, I would take the points with Oral Roberts, though. Certainly is like, hey, Oral Roberts has not played a team like Ohio State, and they go four for 33 on three-pointers, and they lose by 30. But 18 feels a little high to me for a team that I think is going to score. So I think this is going to settle in more around like 85-74 kind of thing that yeah. I, I don't know that I, I think it's maybe I think they can hang around enough maybe make it like a 10 12 14 point game more than an 18 point game so Steven I didn't I don't know you're gonna make a pick I I think 18 is a little much for this it is for me I, that's you're expecting Ohio State to just run away with this thing and at some point Oral Roberts just starts raining in threes and make it look closer than it actually was I think it is going to be more of a there's a 30 minute period 25 minute period where it's close because it's for whatever reason, Oral Roberts is sitting at everything it throws up. But eventually talent is going to start to kick in as, you know, just as we saw in that, for, in that Michigan game during the regular season when Michigan hit 10 threes in the first half, you're going to come back to the mean eventually. You're not going to do that the entire game. And that's where you see Ohio State take off. And that's when it goes from maybe being a seven or five point game most of the time with Oral Roberts hanging around. That's when you do get the 10, 11 point lead. But yeah, 17 seems like this is going to be just a walk in the park. And I don't, because of how Oral Roberts plays, I don't think it'll be that. It, it's I, hard to be completely like transitive theory here, but like a couple looking at a couple of their results, they lost at Oklahoma state, which is a, a team that I've seen as like a kind of a sneaky final four pick from some people, 83 to 78. Uh, they also lost at Oklahoma 79, 65. So again, that's two road games against NCAA tournament teams. Maybe not teams as good as Ohio state, but ballpark. And that where, where they're within that 18 points. So I, 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 I also would be taking the points if I was, betting this one like we said that Oklahoma State that's Cade Cunningham that's Oklahoma right. State's the yeah, they four after it they're the four opposite Illinois that's a sweet 16 game potentially and if you're looking if you don't believe in the Illini the way that Stephen and I believe in the Illini I think that might be the game where you think someone's gonna get them that like Cade Cunningham goes off in the sweet 16 and all of a sudden we have a scenario, man, I feel like I should write this because I still want to write about the 10-year anniversary of the Ohio State team that was a one-seed and lost to four-seed Kentucky in the Sweet 16. That might be I – I wonder if the Illinois building, they were like, we feel great about our chances, and the bracket came out, and they were like, you gave us Cade Cunningham in the Sweet 16. That makes yeah. me wonder about that, if that's, if that's coming down the pike for them a little bit. Stephen, you did write about the Big Ten's chances to win a national championship at cleveland.com on Thursday morning. Give us a 30-second breakdown of that story and as you researched it, what you came away with. Yeah, it's possible. The roads are manageable. Obviously, since 2000, they haven't won a championship, but they've got four teams who are in the top 10 of the Kim Palm rankings. They're all one or two uh, seeds in the NCAA tournament and don't have to play each other again until they get to the Final Four, so it's not like they have to cannibalize each other. And I kind of just looked at – of those four who give the Big Ten this opportunity – 
who kind of has the best chances here? They all have one roadblock, obviously, as you just pointed out with Illinois. Theirs is Oklahoma State because that's really the first time all year where you can't make an argument for Illinois having the best player on the floor. That's obviously Great Oklahoma point. State. For Ohio State, it would be either North Carolina or Baylor, and that's because Baylor's one of the three best teams in the country, and North Carolina just plays through bigs. And that's also the that's where Ohio State's weakness is in defending big men. So that would be their only roadblock. For Iowa, obviously, it's Gonzaga. That's their big – uh, they've got some other ones as well just because of the de- defensive uh, problems, but Gonzaga's the big one. Can they get past the only undefeated team in the country? And then for Michigan, it's losing Isaiah Livers, what that does as far as their ceiling in this NCAA tournament. But, you know, looking back on some of these, 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 these other times the Big Ten has gotten close and some of the things that have kept them, out, kept them out from actually doing it, obviously playing Hall of Fame coaches, playing Blue Blood schools, a lot of that's off the table this year. North Carolina, this isn't the best North Carolina team we've seen. Kansas is – they're okay, but they're not even the best team in the Big 12 like they have been for the past, what, 18 years of my life. And then there's no Duke. There's no Kentucky. The only other Hall of Fame coach that's not in the Big 10 is Rick Pitino, who's at Iona. And unless you're you know, crazy, you're probably not thinking Iona's winning a national championship this year. So this is just – Rick Pitino, we, by the way. Yeah, Rick Pitino. Yeah. This is just not the year I where – Oh, you know, I said, I said, I said, Rick Pitino oh. can cram oh. it. Yeah, I just wanted to that's, interject that's, that's that. Fair. By the way, his son's a good guy, but not Rick Pitino. He's not, not a good coach, but he's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there it is. You're either a good coach or a good guy in that family. You can't be both. But yeah, this just seems like a pathway where we could maybe get two into the final four, and then things get interesting because now you're giving yourself more chances for the Big Ten to actually pull this off for the first time in 20 years. The second longest streak. Second longest drought between national championships. Obviously, uh, the Pac-12 has the longest, not having one since 1997. All right, let's do quarterbacks. Wait, uh, I I was just going to say for Illinois, it's not just Oklahoma State too. They got to play Loyola potentially in that second round game. Loyola is a top ten Ken Palm team, like by far the best eight seed in this tournament. Ah, Sister Jean, you're falling for the Sister Jean mojo. You care less about Sister Jean. It's all about the numbers, baby. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I can't believe they're letting her stop stop by Indianapolis. Mo. Mojo. Everybody loves the mojo. All right, we're doing quarterbacks next. We'll decide what order we're doing. We're doing 25 minutes each. CJ Stroud, Kyle McCord, Jack Miller, breaking down the competition ahead in spring practice for the Buckeyes next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're going to do this. We're going to break this down. We'll start with Jack Miller. I want to talk about what Nathan has written about them recently. I want to talk about what Stephen knows about them. Um, from the recruiting process or how Ohio State has gone about bringing these quarterbacks in. To refresh myself, I rewatched everybody's highlights this morning back to back to back so I could – and then I threw in the other guy too to get a sense of just like what they're like compared to each other. Um, but let's start with Jack Miller. They're all – all three guys in this competition are listed as six foot three. So like they're all very similar. So like that – hey, well, we got a 5'10 guy. We got a six six guy like – not that that's the end all be all and you can be a lot of different things depending on your body type, but like that's, that's not, a, that's not going to determine it that Ryan day just sort of likes how a guy stands, right? Like that's, that's not it. So Jack Miller profile from Arizona, his parents own or his not own his dad, I think is the manager of the Scottsdale princess, which is the hotel where Ohio state has stayed at uh, is like the team hotel for them many, 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 many times when they have gone out and played in the fiesta bowl. 
was sort of introduced to the Ohio State program through that idea. Um, but Nathan, what did you learn about Jack Miller as you report, were reporting on him these last couple weeks and, and writing a story about Jack Miller and, and what he's going to be like in his competition? For people who didn't see it on the site, kind of the point of the series was to kind of find sort of an inflection point for all these guys as competitors. You know, it's a QB competition. I kind of wanted to maybe get more to their essence as competitors and maybe try to tell kind of a, a, a different story. I mean, there's other people who were doing series on these guys, uh, other, other outlets on the, the Ohio State beat. So with Jack Miller, I, I got a hold of both his, his quarterback coach and then the guy who's been sort of his, his team quarterback coach. And um, he talked about being his, his coach in seventh grade and where at a point where he already had all of the physical attributes that you would have wanted, yet he didn't give him the job. He didn't make him the starter right then because he kind of wanted him to grow up in some other important ways. He, he wanted him to see him maybe take a little bit more accountability in some things. He wanted him to be more of a, a leader by example, I think, and how he kind of carried himself around the team. And in all three of these cases I was talking about, not so much with Stroud, but, but also with McCord talking about them, like in a, writing about them in a, in a pre-high school sense. And sometimes you, you take that kind of time for granted because these guys are so athletically uh, developed, usually beyond a lot of the guys that they're playing with and against. So you, you kind of take it for granted that there's, there's something that they can get out of that. But from, from talking to him, and this is a guy that ended up being his coach at like subsequent levels. So it wasn't like the family like rejected this idea that there was some, some tough love at that level. Like they kept, kind of falling along he ended up being his quarterback coach and in high school and things like that um he seemed to Miller kind of embraced that and it was maybe an important time for him to learn some of the intangibles or develop some of the intangibles that he would need to be Ohio State's next quarterback what did you did you come away Nathan after talking about those the this with those people like feeling good, I mean, because you're, you're allowed to analyze what people say, right? I mean, you talk to people all around all three of these quarterbacks. It feels like Jack Miller as a young quarterback, as a lot of us do in life, you need to learn some stuff. Do you feel like some of the stuff he learned as a young guy is helping him compete at this level? Like, hey, a coach is trying to teach him a lesson, right? About like, you're talented, but you need to do more. In middle school, does that help? Did it, did it click? Did it do something for a guy for this, for this competition? I mean, and I, for in the case of Jack Miller, the lessons kind of build on themselves, right? Because he he has this experience at, at a relatively still young age, you know, seventh, eighth grade. And then he gets into high school, has this awesome first season at a small private school, has sort of a, a family tragedy there. And I, that story, I think, was out there. But the, the family friend who was coming to see him play gets struck and killed by a car as he's walking across the street into the stadium. He had to go through some counseling and had some problems with that. Didn't want to stay at that same school. So that's he, he transfers to... I, get, I think it's pronounced Chaparral, the, the, the right. big, big school out there, going from like a 2A to a 6A. So now he's got to go learn a new system. He's got to adapt to a new high school, uh, a much higher level of play, ends up winning that job as a sophomore and, and, and going forward from there. And then runs into a bunch of injuries late in his career. You know, at one point he's a big-time prospect, you know, highly ranked prospect. And then those injuries, he kind of starts precipitously just trick falling down the, the rankings and that brings all sorts of scrutiny and, and doubt from, from the outside that you have to you keep getting, I think, probably forced to respond to from, from people like us asking you about it. So I think all of those things have kind of built themselves. Ryan Day yesterday was talking about this concept of the, the, the mentality of this competition 
and what it's like for these guys to be able to sort of focus through the idea of the competition and this sort of day-to-day worrying about where you stand. And I wonder if all of those things, all of those experiences that started at that middle school age and have kind of built up, if those things might help him put on those blinders a little bit and just take care of his own business on a day-to-day basis. Because as spring begins, I think the scrutiny on all this is going to ratchet up. Even though we've talked about how there's not going to be some big dramatic announcement at the end of spring, at least we don't think so that the, 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 you know, we're all going to, everybody's already writing about this and it's only going to increase as we get to see and hear things in the coming weeks and months. So Steven, this guy committed to Ohio state in July of 2018. I mean, this guy was in early, right? This is a, this is a big thing. This was the first guy that Ryan day sought out and recruited wire to wire as an assistant at Ohio state. He got offered as a freshman. They were on him early. And I think it's, I think people know this again, we're going to restate some stuff. We have smart listeners. We know that. We have some, and there are, I think, varying degrees, Stephen, of recruiting commitment among our listeners. Some people who follow it in and out every day and honestly sometimes might know more than us. And some people who are aware and care a lot. And some people who are sort of like, you know what, just let me know when they're here and then I'll love them as a Buckeye, but I don't follow all the ins and outs. So we're going to repeat this stuff. When he committed, Stephen, this was a huge get. It was early. But he was really highly ranked, and we perceive him now as, you know, his final ranking as a recruit was lower than Kyle McCord and C.J. Stroud. But in the moment, this was like one of the very best quarterback recruits in the country in his class when when he committed. His commitment ranking was actually higher than both Kyle McCord and C.J. Stroud were. He was the number 48 overall player and the number three pro-style quarterback when he committed to Ohio State. And you're right. He, he was the first Ryan Day quarterback because, uh, obviously, that actually worked out from beginning to end. Obviously, I mean, Emory Jones was committed, and he ended up flipping. Dewan J- Mathis was committed, ended up flipping. They went and got Matthew Baldwin late. So this kind of was the beginning of the reset of the quarterback recruiting for Ohio state. And so I think you're right, Nathan, when Ryan day brought that up about, you know, not trying not paying attention to what's going on around you and just kind of keeping your eyes forward. That might apply to Jack Miller more than everybody else, just because of what the last two years have looked like. This is an elite quarterback with an elite level arm who didn't get a lot of chances to show it because he was always hurt because he, he did transfer to, chaparral but his last couple of years they didn't have an elite offensive line so he was getting hit a lot so he ended up getting hurt a lot and then maybe when he had an opportunity to start rising again and showcase himself at the opening which we'll get into more when we get to cj Stroud, he got hurt again so he couldn't compete he couldn't go compete and show he never really got a chance to show off his development over the last two years after he committed to ohio state so i mean one kudos to ohio state for standing on that kid but also kudos for that kid for extend the course because uh, listen when you go from number 48 in the country to now you're 334 on signing day that's a, a legitimate drop off and when you compare him to where Kyle McCord or and CJ Stroud are in the final of their final composite rankings he doesn't really belong and he's kind of the outcast until you remember he was an elite prospect when Ohio State that offered him and actually landed him as the fourth member of the 2020 recruiting class how much of his senior year did he miss with injury, did he miss his whole senior year or, or parts of it? He missed a big chunk of the middle, maybe four or five games, which is, I mean, when you're playing 10 regular season games, that's. 
I mean, so, and so much of his recruiting drop is injury related, right? I mean, that's yeah. always been my impression. Nathan, is that your impression that that's like that? Yeah. We, we, whatever he would have been, he started falling because he didn't, he couldn't have as much tape as the other guys. He had to believe it was a, a, his junior year. He had another injury. I think that was a year that it was a, that might've been the knee injury. And then after his junior year, when he was going to be doing all these showcases, he developed kind of an overuse injury. They think like just from all the throwing he'd done, all the seven on sevens, he had a lat injury. And that's why he goes to elite 11 and can't really throw. And he was going in front of, you know, going in front of the people like the decision makers for these recruiting rankings and couldn't perform. And I, that's where yeah. you started to see that, that, that backslide. Best ability, best ability is availability. And he didn't have a lot of it over the last two years. So that's hard, right? It's hard to judge, but you know, you watch his junior film, you know, this is the highlights and I was watching, I'm, I'm rereading this story that he when he committed so long ago, Bill Landis still worked for Cleveland.com when Jack Miller committed to Ohio State in July of 2018 because Landis wrote the story. Um, and his coach at the time is saying he throws like one of the best deep balls he's ever seen. And if you watch his highlights, it is bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. And listen, I think we can overdo, right? I mean, everybody puts the deep balls in the highlights. That's why they stand back and in practice, they throw balls into trash cans 40 yards down the sideline. When you're a really good quarterback and you work on it a lot, I'm not saying everybody can throw a ball in a trash can 45 yards down the field, but a lot of guys can. And if your receiver gets open and it feels like you're throwing it in the trash can, okay. But he's very smooth at it. And when you watch him, I was trying to like, you know, what's the differentiator among these guys and their 10-minute highlight films? The word for me on Jack Miller was smooth. He just looks very – he has a little bit of a longer motion. It's a little bit – maybe it's not – 100% precisely technical, but it's really smooth. I thought he looks good moving and throwing on the run. He really like rolls out and makes a nice little throw on the run. He has a little bit in the run game. Again, that like when – what are we, flying to Arizona and watching four games? No. So it's a highlight clip. It's what you choose to put in. But you can tell he's more of a thrower guy. He's not going to kill you in the run game. But, Nathan, the thing that Ryan Day and Steven mentioned, it, that we, we were all going to talk about it, the thing that's going to get brought up a lot is, you know, Ryan Day didn't say, I want a guy who can do somersaults, a quarterback. He said, I want, like, a guy who's going to process the offense, right? We don't know how that's going to go. So you can't evaluate that on game film. Now, Ryan Day can. Ryan Day can evaluate that when he talks to people and goes and talks to the kid and, like, What's this guy going to be like at the next level processing the game? That's the underlying thing here that we can't make any assumptions about anybody. We don't know that yet. So we're just watching like traits, right? And traits and Jack Miller at his best just looks very in control. And he throws a really good deep ball. And even, even like when he's moving, he just looks smooth. He doesn't look rattled. I don't know that – I mean, he's not doing somersaults, but he's just under control. You can see what they like. That's what I came away reminding myself of his film. Both he and Kyle McCord, more than C.J. Stroud, came from a background where I think at a very early age they had access to high-level training or the, the best teams to play on. And I think you see that in – when you like that's what comes through when you look at those films of Jack Miller. And I think they saw – Again, at a young age, uh, his physical development got there pretty quickly. Like his coach, those those bombs you're talking about, like he was throwing those, maybe not quite, you know, obviously it got farther over time. But for a seventh grader, he was definitely out throwing his age group. And, and 
that part of it was always there very just like the technical side of things the the um just that flow that you're talking about i think that's been there at an early age you can tell that he was a guy who was groomed to be a college quarterback from at a, at a big time program from a pretty early age and so that's why i is to me is a very interesting these three guys come from such different backgrounds and to just be meeting here kind of on the same battlefield is really intriguing to me that you, that it's, you know, CJ Stroud coming from um, a much tougher background. And then you've got other guys coming from opposite coasts and all that. And then what wins out among those three kind of um, just very disparate backgrounds colliding at the same time. And they're all went through their own adverse situations in different ways. Uh, for Jack Miller, it's the injury. C.J. Stroud, it's you know, the, the late blooming situation. For Kyle McCord, it's more this past year where it's you weren't sure if they were going to have a football season or not. So they all have, they all have been through something that's kind of prepared them for this. As Nathan has also written, but also some more recent things as well within the last year or so of their high school careers where they went through some things that kind of prepared them for this as well. So Ohio State, so he was the early commit. And again, mm-hmm. as Landis pointed out when he wrote the thing in 2018, you know, they had Tristan Wallace early in a class, and then Tristan Wallace decides I want to be a receiver and goes to Oregon, and they wind up with Dwayne Haskins. They have – um, uh, who was the other guy they had early? Was it – no, they had Dan, well, they had Danny oh, Clark early in a class. Yeah, Danny Clark. As, then, as an Ohio kid, they had Danny Clark in like eighth grade. He had an Ohio State tattoo, yeah. and then they kind of bailed on him. This was an early guy. And, again, Stephen, everybody knows this, but – there was certainly a time when they were really dancing with C.J. Stroud where it certainly, even the, regardless of what Jack Miller said, you had to wonder, is this kid going to wind up at Ohio State? And so why do you think in the end, Stephen, he did wind up signing that they wound up, they recruited C.J. Stroud in his class as well, but Jack Miller stuck by it? Yeah, I think it's, it was interesting when you read Landis's story about Jack Miller committing. The last quote is, "They can bring in two for all I care. I'll compete with anyone." And I mean, well, yeah, hold on, a- hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's two parts to that quote. The first part is, "They told me they're only gonna bring in one, no matter what." So the first part of that quote is, "I'm the only quarterback in this class." Yep. And the second part of the quote is, ah, "I mean, if they bring in two, I'll compete." But he really meant the first part. And then you have to say the second part, otherwise people think you're afraid of competition. So that, to me, actually showed not that he's willing to compete. That, to me, showed that when he committed, he thought he was going to be the only guy. And it did not wind up that way, which to me is like, okay, he got hurt. There were some other things at play here. But clearly the plan and the way the plan was communicated to Jack Miller changed from July 2018 to signing day 2020, right? Yeah, which I think is always the case. I don't know if anybody ever starts a a cycle for a class thinking we're going to bring in two quarterbacks. I think along maybe halfway through to signing day, you realize that you have to do that. So I I believe it. I believe that. I'm going to interrupt you again. Did they realize it halfway to signing day, like just because they realized it? Or did, they, did they realize it because Jack Miller got hurt? I think it's, it's both. It's, it's, okay. it's, it's definitely the Jack Miller getting hurt, but also what the quarterback room was like, which is also him having some self-awareness a little bit to, the, because he didn't you know, reopen his commitment and look elsewhere because he understood that the room, is, the room situation and the numbers in the room, that, that's, a, that's coach speak. It's more the, the I got hurt. So 
the guy that, I, that they offered and accepted a commitment from, maybe they're not sure they're still getting that kid. Maybe that kid's you know, development has been halted a little bit because he spent more time on training room tables than he has on the field training to play quarterback. So to hedge their bet a little bit, they have to go bring another guy in just in case maybe my ceiling isn't that as high as it used to be. That's just good business. I, and may, and he, apparently, clearly he understood that because if he didn't and if he wasn't okay with it, he'd be somewhere else because he still had plenty of offers otherwhere, uh, elsewhere. So that that's obviously Ohio State needing to do what they need to do, but also you, you're seeing a kid with self-awareness and understanding why they're, they're in this position where he went from being a guy who understood he was going to be the only quarterback in the class, and now they have to bring in another highly rated guy. And – when C.J. Stroud developed. That's the other X factor in all this, too. C.J. Stroud developed later as far as, like, getting to that stage where he became what you're talking about, like an elite prospect. If C.J. Stroud doesn't ever appear, if, if Ohio State doesn't ever really get wind of him, he's not the third guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was only someone – they could get in on him late and still get him in a way that you usually can't, a quarterback of, of that stature. They're yeah, but they could have went and got a under. They could have went. They would have. A, there would be a third guy, guy here, but it wouldn't. I don't think it would be a three-way competition the way we're talking about this one. I do think like three things happened to to all come together that wound up with Stroud and Miller in the class. One is Miller got hurt. Two is Stroud is a maniac. Like I mean, we'll get to him, but it's like he's a he's a quarterback available late because he's a late developer who just jumps off the screen and three is the Ohio state quarterback room kind of fell apart. So like, I think, you know, I think all three of those had to happen. Cause I think like mm-hmm. if CJ Stroud is an unbelievable prospect and the quarterback room fell apart, but Jack Miller was like a five star because he was the number 48 guy in the country when he committed and he wound up at number 21. I'm not sure Stroud's here. If Miller gets hurt and the quarterback room falls apart, but C.J. Stroud, there's not a guy who pops and is still available like C.J. Stroud, I'm not sure there's another big-time guy here. Or if the quarterback room, if you didn't have Tate and Baldwin and everybody else leave, it didn't, maybe it didn't matter if Miller was hurt because you would have had – like I think, Nathan, like all three had to happen, and all yep. three did. And we've talked before about this, you know, did Ryan Day, is he playing with fire here a little bit, the way he's stacking up all these quarterback recruits. But really, it's, it's all triggered by recruiting, quarterback recruiting failings that happened, what, two years before that. It's the problems that that room ran into before that that had to be solved in an unconventional way down the line. So, so Stephen, do you – how should we view Jack Miller as a – as a prospect then. And, and listen, we're not going to apologize for it. People I'm, I'm attaching. I still attach the five-star recruit thing to Zach Harrison. When I think about Zach Harrison at some point, maybe, a, how do I say this? At some point, maybe a player proves to you, you have to detach that, but I do think it's reasonable to attach it for a while. The Browns just signed Tack McKinley to a free agent contract, even though he hasn't been very good in the NFL. And part of the reason they signed him entering the fifth year of his career is because he was a first round pick. Right. There's still that attachment to you that it's like, listen, at some point, this guy was really talented compared to his peer group. And maybe it's not quite the same way right now, but it once was. Can it be that way again? What's the best way for us to think of Jack Miller as a quarterback? My guess would be that we have to keep in mind that he really is a better player than what his final recruiting ranking wound up. He is the one player where you have to just reset everything. 
and not look at that and where, you know, the stars, I guess, in the, the where it really truly doesn't matter because you have to put context into why he's that low. And so with maybe the other two, it's more – they're kind of maybe riding a momentum wave into here in their own unique ways that we'll obviously get into. With him, it's just – Remember why they went and got him so early in the first place. And if if to if you want to be optimistic about it, look at it that way, and look at the fact that now he's in a he's at one of the three best programs in the country with a state of the art football facility that can help him with some. If he's still got some of these lingering health issues, they're set up to help him through some of those things. And maybe they, or maybe they're just injuries of the past that were just fluke injuries, and that they're not necessarily chronic things. But you have to reset it with him and go, Ryan Day wouldn't pick that kid out when he was a sophomore. And he stuck with him, even as we all saw him start tumbling down the recruiting rankings. There's a reason he did that. So if he ends up winning this job, Ohio State will be fine. Because that means he also just beat out a five-star and a borderline five-star to do it. So, Nathan, I – sent you this out. I don't know if you listened to it. We were like, I was listening back to some of it too. Like when these guys, when CJ Stroud and and Jack Miller talked to us before the pandemic a year ago on signing day and Jack Miller's aware of all this stuff, right? I mean, he, I mean, how can you not, it's his own life. Of course he's aware of it. So he knows how he's perceived and how some people are perceiving this competition. I do think when you look at his film, smooth is the word that popped to mind, but to me, this processing stuff that, that Ryan Day is talking about, to me, he's the guy that, like, if he doesn't process at the, like, at the highest level, he's not going to win it. Because I just don't think his film quite pops like the other three guys. And I'm going to keep talking about the other guy, too. But that also might be a function of, like, I was watching junior film because his senior year got a little screwed up. So, like, he didn't get a chance to do. Like, the, if, when, the, when C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller, at the end of their junior years, I'm, Jack Miller had better film than C.J. Stroud, I'm sure, right? That it's like... All the development that C.J. Stroud got to do as a senior, Jack Miller was kind of thrown off with that. So who knows? Maybe he would have developed too. But he's the underdog here, Nathan. I don't think that's unfair to say. I think he, in, he would at least admit that he knows he's perceived as the underdog. How do you think that might play out, right? That like these other two guys are a five-star and a borderline five-star. Miller knows what he was. He's the comeback story. Well, well, does he maybe have less to lose? Can he play a little looser this spring? Or is it more like, holy crap, like these guys are all five stars. Oh, God, I got to keep up. Like, I don't know. We don't know. But what do you think? I think that's a really interesting dynamic to this competition. And it's changing every day, right? Because we don't know from how soon the NCAA might change their rules as far as the transfer thing. It was funny listening to those interviews because both of these guys, I think from multiple people, cause we're bouncing around from table to table and multiple people, I think come up and say like, no, I'm not saying you're going to transfer or I'm not saying one of you guys has to transfer, but I'm just saying like somebody's gonna, like, <laughs> and they're all getting questions like that. And so it, do all three of these guys come in in the past, you go back three, four years, 10 years, um, a situation like this, I think there's a lot of urgency on these guys because they know whoever finishes second or especially third in a competition like this, that's costing you two years of your career because you got to go sit somewhere for a year before you can play again. I don't think that's going to be the case for either any of these guys. And so it, 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 that does change the dynamic a little bit. And I think you're right in some ways that, you know, you've got CJ Stroud coming in as the guy who had really taken the lead in that class. You've got Kamal Cord coming in 
as the five star. Uh, I think and and Stroud may be the one of the three that has almost the most pressure, if you want to see it that way, just in terms of living up to he came in with the high ranking and he has the year in the program. He's got kind of both barrels loaded as opposed to where McCord and Miller don't. We've had this conversation uh, a little bit when we were uh, comparing this in some ways to the Joe Burrow, Dwayne Haskins battle and the fact that Urban Meyer kind of owed Joe Burrow a conversation at the end of the spring just because he stuck around so long. There's nobody to that extreme. But given what Jack Miller's kind of had to put up with here, the injuries and being okay with not being the only quarterback in the class, which no quarterback is okay with ever. I don't care how many times they tell you they'll compete with whoever. They all want to be the only guy. Is he the closest thing to that in terms of owing a conversation to somebody at the end of spring? I think that's a very astute point, and I think you're right. And he was the first one. He was the guy who was in first. He made the commitment to Ohio State, and Ohio State allegedly made the commitment to him first. So I think you're right. I think that is a good point to bring up. All right, that's it for Jack Miller. We're going to call it on him. We're going to move on to the second quarterback breakdown, and we are going to move on to C.J. Stroud, who was the late bloomer. Steven, we'll start with you a little bit on this, just the refresher for people. This guy, late bloomer, senior year, popped at Elite 11, and it's like he's popping at Elite 11, throwing to some Ohio State future receivers, and like Ryan Day is calling C.J. Stroud at the Elite 11 or whatever, and C.J. Stroud's telling the story of like dropping to his knees, getting the Ohio State offer. Like it, It was like the Ohio State guys there were like, Coach Day, there's this guy here, and he's not committed. And Ryan Day got to work for some of the reasons we already said, because a couple other things with Jack Miller in the room were in play. What's the, what's the life cycle here of CJ Stroud as a prospect, Steven? Yeah. And it's interesting. They were calling coach day when they're actually on his team down there. So it's not like they're on the sideline watching him shred everybody. They're out there winning alongside with, with him. But it's interesting because Clemson knew their new starting quarterback, DJ Oyungaleye is actually the reason a lot of this is possible. He was he got one of the last spots in the Elite 11 competition, um, and he dropped out because he wanted to focus more on St. John Bosco and winning a national championship there instead of going and competing at a camp for a week and a half. Um, so they called C.J. Stroud late. This video is actually on YouTube, if you want to search it, of him FaceTiming his mother after he got off the phone with Trent Dilfer and his staff over there at Elite 11 and telling him, Mom, I got in. Mom, I got in. And it's the most pure thing in the world. It's almost as pure as him telling you, Doug, I dropped down to my knees when when Brian Day called me at the Elite 11. And then he goes there and he just tears it up. He puts a – they do a pro day on the second day that you're there. They do that every single year. He set the record for the best pro day with 50 points. And then he went and won MVP, and they won the seven-on-seven seven tournament. And from there, going forward, he went from this kind of unknown kid who was in the 500s to he's shooting up the rankings. And he takes all that momentum until his senior year of high school, puts together a quality year at Rancho Cucamonga. I think it's how you, Rancho Cucamonga, I think it's how you say it, one of those two. Yes. Okay, yeah, he goes, puts a quality year there together, and all of a sudden he's the hottest commodity on the recruiting trail. He shows up at Ohio State for the Michigan State game. Him and Quincy Avery are walking around. He's at a Michigan basketball game, and the, uh, the student section is chanting, we want CJ, we want CJ. So this all moved very fast. He, he kind of Justin Fields a little bit. Where- all right, now, stop that. Now, we got to keep on the track. Just give us a little bit of the, of the keep on the thing. We, we, I mean, the whole conversation is going to be how he's like Justin Fields. My God, you watch film, and if you said, whose film is this? And said, 
you would guess. Is this Justin Fields' film? So let go. Just finish your thought about his recruitment. And then we get the signing day, and it's down to Ohio State and USC and a couple other schools, and he ends up picking Ohio State on signing day. And now he's since come in with all the momentum in the world and is basically considered the next starting quarterback at Ohio State. So let's throw a fourth thing into how this all came together. If USC had it stuffed together a little bit more, would C.J. Stroud be at USC, Stephen? He would. I think, he, I think you asked him about California guys I did. coming to Ohio, and he was just talking about guys don't even go to USC games. It's just not what it used to be. So, yeah, if USC was doing what it's doing right now, two cycles ago, he'd be their starting quarterback this upcoming season. So there's four things at play that made this happen. Nathan, what, what did you find out about this guy, how he developed and, and got to be this kind of quarterback, and like what set him up for this absolute – amazing breakthrough at the end of his high school career so like I said it was about kind of going back into the to the their their recent past and finding some moments where they had to kind of live up to this same sort of competitive standards they're facing right now and for all three of these guys one of the early questions I had was when was the last time these guys had to go win a job like some a lot of times these guys are just so talented relative to their their peers I mean to be the quarterback at Ohio State to be a five-star prospect a lot of times you can walk in as a freshman regardless of your position and you're probably playing varsity even at, at big time programs at the high school level and for him it did not work out that way he at Rancho Cucamonga they had a guy and, and they brought him up late going in the summer of his freshman year to, to get into this quarterback competition because they did have an open spot but they ended up picking a guy named Nick Acosta who was just a junior that year and a guy who has gone on he's playing college football right now but he's playing at Cal Lutheran uh, can I which, say real quick uh, Cal Lutheran's where Tom Herman went. Okay, go ahead. Great. Um, it, is, it is not where a lot of NFL players go to play football, though. It's a Division three outside of uh, Los Angeles. And in a, in a, in a, I've got a buddy whose wife works at one of the other schools in that same conference that they just moved out there a couple of years ago. So I'm a little bit familiar with that level. But th that's what we're talking about here. At, 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 as a freshman, he wasn't ready to beat out someone of that standard as a junior. I think he, in Nick Acosta, he also played at a, a local junior college before he moved on to the Division three. So, again, that's the level of player you're talking about. Really solid player, and they won a lot of games at Rancho Cucamonga with him. But it, it said something to me that at that stage, it kind of reinforced what we all thought about C.J. Stroud was that there was something raw there. And when they put him in games, he looked good in those mop-up scenarios, kind of those scenarios he didn't really get last season with Ohio State. But wasn't there yet from a from a full physical standpoint? Wasn't there yet from a like maturity and intangible standpoint? It was all of that just coming together later than it did because he didn't again have necessarily that same grooming from a very young age that Cal McCord and Jack Miller both had. They were both really in this kind of quarterback factory pretty early on in their lives. I mean, Kyle McCord's father was a quarterback. Jack Miller, the, the, the access that they had to things. I mean, it, it was very different for C.J. Stroud. He's been semi-open about some of the things he went through early in life, right? I mean, he, he hints at it. He doesn't get into details. Um, but we know, I mean, it was a one-parent home. His father was in prison. He said that he saw some really rough stuff early on and could have gone down that path and and ended up being able to to succeed because of football. So, I thought that was really interesting that it was even at that age, even at his high school level, not regardless of him being a national prospect that he turned out to be, even at the high school level, he was still a step behind. And it wasn't like he was going up against a Jack Miller or a Kyle McCord. He was going up against just a, a very kind of normal college quarterback at that level. 
Dominaldi's going to have a field day with this if CJ Stroud wins the job and he's like a Heisman Trophy candidate in two years. But I, I, he also developed physically differently. It's a, he, you know, he, it's not just, the, yes, the quarterback access, uh, the development of those two guys, 100%, but also, yes, he's six foot two, 195. It's probably closer to 210 now, me with Mick Marotti. But he physically, he, his, his growth spurt, a lot of that stuff just came later on in his life as well, which is part of why he was competing with guys early on in his career in a way that those guys weren't. But he also wasn't working with specialized trainers. Yes, probably both of them. I don't even know if that family was going to like a gym or no. whatever. He was probably just who he was, which was still actually pretty good. Like what, like what a lot of people would consider like a normal high school thing. It's like you're going to high right. school and you go to football practice and like that's kind of what you do. I, I do know there was someone I was talking to um, about this recently. I, I, and I'm sure people have written about this. I think there is some frustration a little bit among people who like aren't like in this sort of high school quarterback pipeline training early, right? That I do think there are enough kids who are in that, that if you're not in that, I think you can get to the point where like offers start going out and you're like, holy, I didn't even realize what was going on with this. Either I didn't know it existed or we just weren't at a point where we could take advantage of it or they didn't have it in our area or whatever. And then it's like, there's what? There's kids with a, a throwing tutor since middle school and that is becoming more prevalent and so i think for a variety of things if we're talking about just not doing that as much and then a later physical development steven like the idea of like oh why did this kid not pop until his senior year steven there's like a million reasons and then it's like and then when it all came together steven like it all came together yeah, it's it's it, primings of the not having the all offer situation. There's nothing about C.J. Stroud's background that would tell you he would know early on in his high school career he should probably be going to camps and showcases and all this different. The place you actually earn offers, you earn offers doing everything with actually playing in a football game, it, which is really interesting when it comes to college football recruiting because at least in other sports they're watching you play in an actual game. Ryan Day hasn't seen Kyle McCord throw in person in two years. And now he's supposed to be in the thick of a, of, a, of a starting quarterback battle right now. And so it's interesting. And so, yeah, it takes C.J. Stroud maybe getting around some people at Rancho Cucamonga, Rancho Cucamonga who know some things and know some of the things that C.J. Stroud should be, be doing on the recruiting trail to get his name out there, which is, yeah, to Nathan's point, you don't have a quarterback trainer. You're also physically just as a human being developing late, but also – you don't actually know how this recruiting thing works. So now all of a sudden you're going into your senior year and nobody knows who you are. So now you're just throwing yourself into all these camps and hoping you pop. For every C.J. Stroud story that does pop, there's a million people who are just like C.J. Stroud who don't pop. There's another similarity with Justin Fields, too, in that Fields, one of the reasons why his recruitment took off late was because he was a multi-sport guy. So when a lot of other people were out doing seven-on-sevens all summer and all that stuff – Justin Fields was playing baseball. He was playing AAU basketball. Stroud was a, a pretty big basketball player, too. There's a story about him hitting a big shot um, one year in the state tournament for Rancho Cucamonga to help them win a, a big game. And it, so because of that, he got late into – even though he had access to things like those seven-on-seven seven things, he was just late getting into them because he was committed elsewhere for the summer. So, again, just things like that. Like you're saying, Doug, like there's guys who – it, it's really advantageous for some of these guys to get in early to those pipelines. And it makes you wonder some of these guys that you see who kind of seem to come out of nowhere, 
it's probably not coincidental because they probably just happen to be superior athletes who weren't in that pipeline. So am I overstating it as I was rewatching everybody on Thursday morning? Am I overstating it that if you did not know who it was and they said, watch this high school film, that you might think it's Justin Fields? Steven, am I overstating it or is it possibly that similar? No, it's pretty similar. Justin's probably the better runner and maybe CJ's a little bit more developed thrower from a natural standpoint. But yeah, I remember when we saw them last year on one of the two spring practices we got to go to and it was like seeing oh, that's what Justin Fields looked like when he was 18 years old. And so, yeah, it's, yeah. if you squint your eyes, you see a little Justin in there, which is part of why the momentum towards C.J. Stroud is so strong. So let's, so let's get into that. Then I want to talk about that highlight film. But when Justin transferred to Ohio State, it was like Justin was at a basketball game, at an Ohio State basketball game with Dwayne Haskins, right? And so Dwayne Haskins with Quincy Avery as his quarterback's coach both like Quincy Avery believing in Ryan Day. Quincy Avery is a really good personal quarterbacks coach who advocates on behalf of his players. And I think I don't want to put words in Quincy Avery's mouth, but I think Quincy Avery thinks some college head coaches and quarterbacks coaches are really good and really know what they're doing. And I think Quincy Avery thinks some of them have no idea what they're doing. And that's a lot of people think that way, but we're talking about what Quincy does. He's Deshaun Watson's guy. I mean, this is, this is one of the big time, quarterback coaches in the country Quincy Avery likes Ryan Day so if Quincy Avery has a guy that he is working with I think Quincy Avery trusts Ryan Day to be like a partner in that development of that player so it started with Dwayne Haskins it transitions very easily to Justin Fields I don't know a hundred percent exactly how much that mattered there but now, like, Stephen, like, C.J. Stroud is sort of like the next in line, right, of these. Mm-hmm. There is a connection there, and it's, it's very easy, and it might be right, but it's also easy to just fall into, like, okay, well, it's the next in the line of these guys. And, like, of course it's going to be C.J. Stroud who wins this job. Why wouldn't it be C.J. Stroud? Like, Justin is practically anointing him the way that Dwayne – anointed Justin at a time when we're like, oh, Justin Fields is coming, but man, Tate Martell is here for the fight. It's like, no, he wasn't. Right, Stephen? Like that factors in at least to our perception of this. And actually, it very well may factor into the reality of this as well. Yeah, and I think this this is the one where Quincy was maybe facilitating the most of the three, just because with with the Dwayne-Justin situation, they just both obviously had worked with Quincy Avery, but Dwayne, that's – a little bit more, there's a little bit more of a relationship there. While with Justin, he's worked with a lot of got Ron Veal, another name you throw out there that he's also worked with. So that one was just, they had a mutual trainer that they both worked with from time to time. And so that was a, a great way to make the transition from Justin Fields to get from Georgia to Ohio State. With the CJ Stroud one, I, from my earlier conversations with Quincy Avery back when I was doing the Justin Fields Trevor Lawrence story, we had a small conversation about CJ as well. They, he'd known CJ for a little bit before the Elite 11 stuff, but you know it, it, the relationship had since very much taken off in the Dwayne Haskins situation, which is why, like I said, when he's here for an official visit during the Michigan State game, you don't see his mom patrolling the sidelines with him. She was probably here, but she was probably in the stands. Who's patrolling the sidelines with him? It's Quincy Avery walking him around, meeting all the guys, meeting the coaches, meeting the different players. Uh, they still work together. That last year – 
um, when spring practice was, was supposed to be over with and they were going to go home back before the world shut down, Quincy Avery was going to hold a camp out in California. C.J. Stroud was going to be one of the counselors at the camp. And so, yeah, it's, it's an easy transition here if we just keep going down this list of who is Quincy Avery working with and is that Ohio State's next quarterback. Ryan Day is not going to pick C.J. Stroud to, like, keep Quincy Avery happy, but we're just right. saying there, there are some relationships there that I think matter to some degree. All right. When you watch C.J. Stroud, his highlight film – is the highlight film that makes you say, well, I don't care who's in your quarterback class. You've got to recruit this guy, right? Like he, that the thing that the ball, so a couple things that I, that I thought in rewatching this stuff, the ball jumps off his hand. I thought like in a way that Jack Miller is smooth. I, I just think the ball explodes off CJ Stroud's hand when he throws it. CJ Stroud on his highlight film has a Braxton move. It's not the spin move against Virginia Tech, but it's the Braxton step-back goal line juke against Penn State where he dove into the end zone. CJ has a step-back juke just as he's escaping the pocket. That makes you say, okay, that's a thing. And the other thing is, and Nathan, we talked about this a lot with Derek Klassen on the, on the, the Justin Fields pod we did recently. And it's different. It's high school. Guys who are trying to sack CJ Stroud in high school fall off of him. And he will be in the pocket. Guys will fall off of him, and then he'll run 40 yards. Or he has plays where a guy grabs him and spins him in a circle, and he escapes the pocket and hits a guy on the sideline. There are just multiple plays that make you stop in your tracks, and there are multiple plays where it just looks like Justin. And now the other thing, too, Justin, when he got here, I remember people saying it's like Dwayne threw maybe a more catchable ball that time, and Justin was throwing some heat all the time. You can see CJ's got a little bit of a changeup in there. He's feathering some balls and stuff. Like, he's a really – it'll explode when he needs it. He's a really good kind of knack. Like, just a, he has a little bit of a touch to himself, too. So, Stephen, I don't know. I mean, you've watched the highlight films. That's what I couldn't get away from. But some of that stuff in the pocket – and maybe, you know, again, in comparison, I would say the other four guys, because I watched viewers too, they don't have quite that. Sort of the escapability of here comes the rush, you have the strength to shed a tackle, and now it's on. Who knows what's going to happen, but it's going to be something dangerous for the defense. That, to me, is a lot of when Justin – it's like you think you have a sack, and instead you give up a 40-yard run. That seems to be something that CJ can do as well, plus he can sling it. It's the most underrated thing being a quarterback in a Ryan Day system. And I was wondering when you were going to say Quinn Ewer's name and stop calling him the other guy. I was going to let you do it with the entire pod just it's to not build his, the mystique. It's not his pod. It's not Quinn's I know, pod. I know. This is what, which is why I was glad that you were doing it because it kind of built up the mystique of the other guy. But, yeah, it's it, uh, Dwayne Haskins was obviously a guy who could process information fast and, and make the throw. Right, He's getting it out of his hands. While with, with Justin, as uh, the guy you talked to, what he wrote about but also talked about on that pod, he sometimes can go big game hunting. But more times than not, it pays off. You see a lot of those traits in C.J. Stroud. And in, at the high school level, at least, more times than not, it paid off. You can't coach that. You can't scheme that offensively. You can't play call that. That's an extra thing that a quarterback has to have that, you know, can get you out of trouble when, you know, the play call maybe wasn't the best play call or, or defensive coordinator got you slip, caught you slipping. And whenever you – in today's era of quarterbacks, whenever that a guy has that added element to his game, he probably always has a, as the upper edge in a quarterback battle, no matter what school you're talking about, because you can't coach that. 
And there's enough guys at the high school level who maybe have that kind of escapability and they can run around and make crazy yeah. plays with their feet. But then when they throw it, it doesn't, it doesn't do much for you. You know, when you have the guy who has both and when CJ throws it, it does something for you. I mean, you understand, Nathan. I mean, like it's, it's no secret, right? We said there may be four things that had to happen for CJ Stroud to get here with Jack Miller. But you see what kind of player he is. And it's no secret why Ryan, why Ryan Day was interested in this guy, Nathan. Yeah, and I think kind of going back to the point we made before, you know, there's that old sports uh, cliche or – uh, whatever adage that if you're a track coach and you've got two guys, one with great form and one guy with bad form and they run the same time, which one do you pick for your team? You pick the guy with the bad form because you teach him the good form and how fast is he going to be then? And I wonder if that was a little bit spinning in Ryan Day's head when he starts finding out about CJ Stroud, you look into his background and you're like, wait a second, this guy hasn't been going to a quarterback guru since he was in kindergarten or whatever. Like he just has more natural ability that if you start to refine it, if you start to put it in the machine, what comes out at the end like you're you're not it's a it's it's a different kind of material you're maybe putting into that machine and coming out with it with something even more special at the end and I think that is going to be an interesting thing to watch here because now he's had that whole first year I know it was an unconventional year but that's that gives him a, a different kind of background now that he had never really had access to before and so Nathan if if the general population of Ohio State fans is kind of viewing C.J. Stroud as the favorite. And I think they are. I think if there was a sports book that was putting a betting line on who was going to win this quarterback job, I think C.J. Stroud would be like a whatever, a negative number. Like he'd be less than even odds that if it was like, if he, I don't know how to do that. I never know. People just say the, the odd stuff now, like everybody knows it. So he'd be like minus 150. I don't know. Is that a thing? Where's a... Wait, where's our where's our stinking odds guy? We got to get him back Shoe? on this. Yeah, where's T. Shoe? T. Shoe's got to set odds on this quarterback competition. I think CJ, because the odds reflect what the betting public thinks, right? So I think CJ would be not an overwhelming favorite, but like a pretty clear favorite, Nathan. I mean, is that does it make sense that that's where people are for all the things we talked about? Just the ability, the fact that there's maybe more out there, the sort of pipe, you know, the, the connection, the Quincy Avery connection, the fact that they went and got him when they would have been okay without him and they sort of fell in love late. Is it, does it make sense or are we, are we overstepping it? Well, but and then there's the, the whole other factor. The, the most tangible factor why people think C.J. Stroud might be leading is that twice last season when Justin Fields had to come out of a game in the first half, C.J. Stroud went in and replaced him, including once in the national semifinal. Like that matters a little bit. And now I've started to talk myself though into does it did it matter as much? Like maybe because he was going in just to hand it off, that actually putting CJ Stroud, who might be more mobile than Jack Miller, and if you were just gonna run the ball anyway, that made it more unpredictable as to how many people could be running the ball. Maybe that's why he goes in in those situations. I don't know. I could I could talk myself into why we overthought the fact that CJ Stroud was coming into those games, but it did seem to mean something at the time too, that maybe he was at least ahead of Miller at the end of last season, which would put him ahead. Still, you would think of the guy who was coming in completely cold. Steven, fair. Would you, would you call CJ the favorite as we start as Ohio state starts spring practice on Friday? And if you would call CJ the favorite characterize like how much of a favorite you would, you would call him. You don't have to use numbers, but just, use words 
Yeah. <laughs> Use hand signals. Do you have yeah. any flags? Can you do Smoke some semaphore? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a safe bet to say he's the favorite just because he did take the field twice in those situations. And I think, Nathan, you're right, but also I think some of it is just overthinking. If they, I mean, they could have do Jack Miller out there the second time just to mess with, mess with everybody's head and keep things as equal as possible as Ryan Day was trying to do, like when he took both of their black strikes off at the exact same time. And the only difference was how fast one Twitter video could upload over the other. But, yeah, I do think the momentum, C.J. Stroud clearly being QB2 by the end of the season, the way he's talked, all the things that we're, we've been talking about, I think it is right now he'd be, the as a better, the safest pick the, uh, to, if you were betting on somebody to be – uh, the starting quarterback, he would be the one with negative you know, one, minus 150 or whatever, where you wouldn't make that much money if he actually wins because we all think he's going to be the starter. And now the other thing is, but at the beginning of the year, the first game of the year when they put a backup quarterback in for an actual drive, Ryan Day put Jack Miller in, which – but instead of that – see, this is all the bias. Instead of that making me think, oh, is Jack Miller ahead, that made me think, He's trying to make sure it doesn't look like that C.J. Stroud's the obvious pick, so he's putting the other guy in, but now are we just in our own heads? Well, and we also thought, and he was probably never, ever going to publicly admit this, at least maybe he will down the line. The next time you write your next book, maybe he'll admit this, but that we thought it could be also a little bit of what we were talking about before, kind of a reward for Jack Miller because he was the first guy in line, so maybe he should be the first one to go into a game. I think everyone saw that and thought that was a plausible explanation for that. Definitely a throw him a bone situation, but at the same time, he was apologetic that the guy you threw a bone to scored a touchdown. I, that's why, by the way, that's why I'm team Jack Miller, because that was a touchdown that made me beat Nathan in our bet, which we still never made Nathan do anything for that, which we still have a chance to do. Okay, I, I think we have a handle on C.J. Stroud. I mean, people know what he is. People, again, if you're listening to this, go watch, go watch some of this stuff. I mean, he rips it. He'll rip it. But some of the stuff, the escapability – with the, like this size and strength, like plus, then when he gets out there, he can do some stuff both on the run or throwing on the run. It, it really is kind of rare. And I just, you can't, I mean, I, to me, it's one of those, I was trying to think of comparison. I don't have a great comparison for Jack Miller. I don't know. I do have a little more of a comparison. I'm not saying they're this good. Cause it's one of those things you compare high school players to NFL players. And it's, again, I did that like my, my internship at a newspaper and I like went and covered a high school game. And I was like, this high school running back made him look like Barry Sanders. And the sports editor was like, Nope, that is not what we do. He ran for 91 yards in a high school game in September. We are not making Barry Sanders comparisons. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm dumb. So, but I'm just using it as a point of reference for like how a guy plays a little bit. I just don't think, I think if Justin Fields was, the quarterback at Washington state or Texas or Mississippi or Florida state, Steven, that like, if somebody said, Oh, who, who does CJ Stroud play? Like, I think I would say that Justin Fields guy, who's going to be a first round pick. Have you ever watched him? That's how much like, that's just who he reminds me of. Not because they're at Ohio state, but that's just who I think he looks like when he plays. Yeah. Some of the same intangibles. I mean, when it's there, it's there. It's, 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 that's the difference between – you're not saying he's going to be as good as Justin Fields or he is – he might be. Who knows? We'll see. But it's more the play style, the ability to run but wants to throw it. And the, his legs are the backbreaker and not the go-to every single time. And he, he scrambles to throw it, even if sometimes he holds on to the ball too long. 
So that's the, the question here. Does he, he's, maybe does he have Justin Fields' upside, but does he also have maybe some of the flaws that Justin Fields has as well? But at the same time, I mean, Justin Fields' throw, flaws got them the two college football playoff first. So I think we'll take those flaws. All right, we'll come back. Kyle McCord is next as we break down the three quarterbacks in the Ohio State quarterback competition for 2021. You're listening to Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Back on Buckeye Talk time for Kyle McCord from Philadelphia. Again, just like Jack Miller, this was a guy that Ryan Day was on early. Steven, he could have had almost anybody, and he's a little bit of the reverse of Jack Miller in that when Jack Miller committed, Jack Miller was way up there in the rankings and then fell, certainly in part because of the injury. When Kyle McCord committed, he was not up there in the rankings. He was like, I think there might have been like at least seven guys that Ohio State had thrown offers at in that class Mm -hmm. who were higher ranked than Kyle McCord. And then after committing and then being a really good high school player, but as you guys talked about, we know that committing to Ohio State in and of itself raises your ranking. He wound up being a borderline five-star guy when when he committed to Ohio State, he was not that, Stephen. But Ryan Day could have had anybody, and he picked this Philadelphia kid out, right? Yeah, he was a borderline top 100 kid when he first came into the picture back in, I think, April of 2019. And it's interesting. He is, I think, the first quarterback commitment that went the exact way you want your quarterback commitment to go. There's no hiccups. There's no need to go add a second guy along the way. Um, you just get this guy, you watch him develop, you watch him turn into a five-star, and you build a class around him, which is – this is exactly what, how you want a quarterback recruitment to go. And for Ohio State, when you look at the last couple of cycles before him, it hadn't gone that way. You either needed to add a second guy or the guy you were in on for a long time, whether that be Dewan Mathis, Emory Jones, on down the line, they end up elsewhere. Yeah, this, this is the, the precursor to the Quinn Ewers commitment that might end up looking the same way. It's like, hey, it's kind of a yeah. national kid that Ohio State picks out. They get him early, they lock him down, and it's just smooth. But like you said, this is sort of how you want a quarterback recruitment to go. Nathan, this guy's a, like a big-time player. He's a winner. But even with that one, they had to go, get Quinn, go flip Quinn Ewers from another spot. With Kyle McCord, it was just out the gate. You offered him. You got him on campus. He committed a month after he came on the campus for an unofficial visit, and that was it. You know, there was no other schools really other, ever involved. And even when Quinn Ewers did commit, you were still worried of if the other school he flipped from was going to come back into the picture. You were never worried about any of that with Kyle McCord. He was just there helping build the class. So St. Joe's Prep in Philadelphia, it's the same school that produced Browns coach Kevin Stefanski. Kyle McCord was the last guy that you wrote about, Nathan, in your quarterback series prepping these guys for this competition. Went up at Cleveland.com on Thursday morning. What did you learn about McCord? So as we said before, it's almost like Kyle McCord, if you look at those three backgrounds, uh, maybe he's sort of the one that's a little bit in the middle. Like I feel like coming from New Jersey – uh, technically New Jersey, the way he did it, it there's still, you're, you're, it's kind of a, a blue collarish area, but obviously he had some advantages too. His dad played, uh, was a quarterback at Rutgers in the early nineties. He coached at, at St. Joseph's prep, the, the, the power that Comcord ended up attending later on. Um, but at a, at an early age, so we're talking about, again, that kind of fifth, sixth grade age, they were playing in one uh, youth team on, on a youth team in the league. And he was kind of already 
building a reputation in that league for like, oh man, that kid over there, like look at all the poise he has. Like he just, you could tell that he was the guy that was going somewhere with football probably. But at the same time, the McCord family was kind of looking at one of these other teams in the league saying, it's great that he stands out here, but he needs to be challenged in a different way. He needs to be challenged by other quarterbacks on the roster. He needs to be challenged by having to play up a level athletically. Um, I think they wanted him to also maybe experience something different culturally. He played on a predominantly white team with, with very few minority uh, teammates. Um, this other team that they were looking at was uh, a lot of uh, black kids, a lot of Hispanic kids, to where Common Cord was like basically the only white kid on that team. And they thought that there was an advantage to that. So he switched teams at that age, went to a place where he wasn't the where he was before. He was like the clear number one quarterback. He went to some place where he had to share the quarterback job. Um, in that league, he was too heavy. He was already like over the 120 pound weight limit or whatever. So he had to play up an entire age group. So in sixth grade, he's playing against seventh and eighth graders, which at different times of your life, those sorts of things can mean more. It's, it's more of a challenge. There were just a lot of things he had to adapt to at that little juncture in his life that they think are kind of help, you know, re affect the DNA a little bit that you have when you get up into high school and you have to compete at a different level. And then now what he's having to do competing for this Ohio State job. Steven, I know you've talked to Kyle a lot during his recruitment. Like, what's the sense you got of like, you know, as he set himself up in this spot, it's always a two-way street here. It's like, we're trying to figure out why did Ohio State go and pick him and pick him as early as they did, but why did he like Ohio State? Why did he pick Ohio State and Ryan Day? What, what would you, how would you describe the connection between Kyle McCord and Ryan Day and, and why this kid, who would have been a gigantic get for a school like Penn State, who would have, if his dad went to Rutgers, would have transformed Rutgers, right? I mean, this guy had – Ample opportunities. Why did he pick Ohio State? Dwayne Haskins threw 50 touchdown passes. Uh, that's the simplest way you can put it. And it went, it made a guy like him go, oh, what, what's happening over here? Is that, but then you're thinking, maybe you're thinking, all right, is that a one-off because Dwayne Haskins is that good? Or is the offensive coordinator who's now the head coach like on to something over here? So then, you know, I think he came to a camp. He had come to a camp before that 2018 season, I believe. And I think when he was talking to Ryan Day, and I, I believe like Ryan Day brought him in the office at one point. He was having him draw plays and stuff on the on the chalkboard, on the smartboard, whatever they use now these days, whatever the kids are using. And he kind of fell in love with the way Ryan Day develops quarterbacks, which is you can say that about a lot of people, but Kyle McCord maybe more than anybody else he got a chance to talk with Ryan Day about it before it happened, see it go crazy, and then that guy not only just be the offensive coordinator play call, but now he's the head coach. And then also, this is the first guy where you can start to give a little bit of credit to Corey Dennis. Not a ton, because Ryan Day is who he is, but Corey Dennis really formed a great relationship because from the moment Ryan Day took over as the head coach, obviously Mike Yersich did his part as well when he was still here as the passing game coordinator, but Corey Dennis and he really developed a very solid relationship. I, I think I told the story before. Uh, the, one of the first times Kyle McCord was in the building, I think Corey Dennis was still just a, a QC at the time, and he said the word Michigan, and Corey Dennis called him out about it and said, you never say that word again, because he was wondering why the Michigan logo was the only thing missing from the schedule. And he got scolded about it. He hasn't said the word Michigan since, at least not when he's talking to Ohio State coaching staff and players and whatnot. And so that, that relationship with Corey Dennis is why 
Ohio State can hire Ryan Day as a head coach, can go through Mike, Mike Yurcich and him leave and then, uh, upgrade, and then, you know, promote Corey Dennis to quarterback coach and still hold on to a five-star like that because the relationship was already so solid. All right, Nathan, we talked about how things are going to shake out, like in terms of what's different about these quarterbacks, right? One is that Jack Miller dealt with more injuries in high school. C.J. Stroud looked like the number two last year. Kyle McCord's behind these guys. How do you think that factors in? And you're reporting, Nathan, talking to these people. So he's closer, and we've talked about this a lot. He's closer to Miller and Stroud than he would have been if it had been a normal college football year. Because he did play his high school season, right? I mean, he got to – did they win a right. state title? They did. Yeah. They won three straight state titles for uh, 6A Pennsylvania. They only played, I think, six or seven games. But, yeah, okay. three straight state t- titles for his high school career. But we're talking about a world where Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud, neither of them has thrown a pass in college football. If it had been a normal year, that would not be the case. They didn't get as much practice time. Their offseason was screwed up. But Kyle McCord is behind them still. He's early enrolled, obviously, but he's not as far behind as he would have been. How do you think that factors into this whole competition, Nathan? Maybe both from Kyle McCord's viewpoint and from how Ryan Day is going to view it. Well, I think the other thing to remember, too, about Kyle McCord is he's the one. It's almost like the best of both worlds from the, the Miller-Stroud thing. I mean, he, he's the one who has also has that like quarterback pipeline background. He's really been groomed for this, been trained for this, you know, having a dad who was a, a, a college quarterback and, and someone and his dad being the one who has been along the way, kind of seeing ways that he could put him in the best position to be a better quarterback long-term, giving him new challenges, putting him on the teams that would help incubate him, that sort of thing. And then you also have a guy whose talent has ascended in, at the right time, the way it did with C.J. Stroud, the, a guy who really rose up in the rankings. So it's made me think that maybe we've been too dismissive, and not that we've dismissed Kyle McCord's chances of winning this job as a true freshman, but things you, you could make an argument that, that he is the one that's coming in with like the, that best-of-both-worlds background that in, in another circumstance, if you weren't competing against two guys who were also five stars, that maybe you would, you would look at it in a different way. Um, but that, that maybe he might be arriving, things just kind of coming together at the right time for him to come in as a true freshman and still be able to win this job. Steven, do you think that, that, that McCord profiles as a guy that like if he, was, if he was not stepping into a room filled with two guys like C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller, is he the type of guy who legitimately could come to a major program like Ohio state and win the starting job as a true freshman. He might do it anyway, but there is, is there like, is this Kyle McCord, what he's been, does it fit that? Like, yeah, I think he'd be ready for that right away. Yeah, he does. 100%. I think one of the best things his parents did was send him to St. Joe's because I mean, he's been playing with elite talent. He's been competing against elite talent and it's prepared him for playing at a school like Ohio state or the million other offers he had as well. I think, his floor is so is higher than what CJ Stroud and Jack Miller's were because obviously what their circumstances were to the point where I think if this were flipped and Kyle McCord were the second year guy who was here last year as a true freshman behind Justin Fields, I might have been more comfortable had something ha- happened to Justin Fields that it wouldn't have fallen off the rails. Even with everything that went on last year, just because of the program he came from, the system he was in, his dad was a 
was a, played power five football as a quarterback. He, I mean, his head coach, Tim Roken, was a quarterback. Him and, him and Ryan Day have a great relationship as well. He is, was just a little bit more ready to come in and start right away if they needed him to do that as a true freshman than what C.J. Stroud were and Jack Miller were. Is it also the case, so again, talking about flipping stuff, if Kyle McCord were the older guy, and Stroud and Miller, right, one of those was the younger guy. Would he be a heavier favorite to win this than C.J. Stroud is right now? You know what I mean? 100%. 100%. I agree, too, and I, I especially agree considering what Ryan Day said to us on Wednesday about needing the, the, the guy who's going to win this job. If they think all these guys are pretty equal physically, not saying that their attributes are the same, but that the totality of them physically is roughly the same then it comes down to a lot of things that are about just um, the presence that you have on the field and ma- decision-making on the field. And it's, that goes beyond just knowing the playbook too. It's about kind of just being very facile out there, just being able to – just being fluent in the offense and, and being ready for things before they happen. And that's where I think he has the, maybe the biggest disadvantage. It's not because he's not a smart guy, but just because he has one year less of, of living in the system – than those than both Miller and Stroud do, even though they didn't get to practice it that much in actual games. So the comparison that I thought watching McCord's highlights again is is stupid, but I guess Scott, I thought it was a little more of like a Patrick Mahomes vibe. That it feels like he had, if I saw like a step back Braxton move from CJ Stroud, I thought McCord had a little highlight where he did like a little like a little sidearm like touchdown throw on a slant where he had a pass rusher in his face and he kind of whipped it under the guy's armpit and hit a guy on the move. And it feels like he's a little more of like a, a problem solver in the moment as a thrower and that he can be like ragged in the way that you want a guy to be ragged. Like, Oh, nothing stuff's not perfect. I can make a throw under any circumstance, no matter what I can like immediately figure out the type of throw I need to make. And if I need to throw it behind my back, I'll do that. If I need to be over the top three quarters sidearm, like, I'm going to see, oh, that linebacker's coming here. I'm going to throw it between his legs. Like, just a little bit of that in-the-moment, instantaneous, like, instinct for it that no matter what is happening to Patrick Mahomes, you feel like he's going to solve the problem with a throw. That, to me, was the vibe I got from McCord. If I thought Miller is smooth and Stroud is like, I'll shake off a sack and run, I thought McCord is like, oh, what? The pass rusher in my face, bing, boom. And, and like, that, to me could be a thing that catches him up quick. Nathan, go ahead. I was going to say that this came up in, in some of the conversations I had. Um, I didn't find a way to squeeze into this story. It sounded a little bit like it could be one of those like boastful dad things um, coming from Derek McCord, but talking about there was a scrimmage in um, right before one of those seasons where they did these sort of jamboree things where you have several teams come in, you all play like a half against each other. And he's back in the shotgun and the snap comes in like high and wide. And McCord just like reaches out and grabs it kind of casually and then sets himself and throws a fade route for a touchdown. And there's a, he was – Derek McCord is one of the coaches, and one of the other coaches turns and goes, man, that kid's 11 years old. Like, he's doing that stuff early on. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just had kind of that, that sense about him pretty early on of uh, not being – like, moments going wrong were also not too big for him. Like, he could, he could figure things out on the fly a little bit. So, I guess maybe just to counteract what I was saying before, if, if you have that, it can help – 
maybe that's actually what Ryan Day is looking for, something you can't teach in some ways, that when all these guys are sort of equal, they've all had time with the playbook, they've all sort of physically, like who's the one that just figures it out and it's, it's something that Ryan Day almost can't teach them. There's a, there's a thing on his highlight film, too, where, like, a snap gets away yep. in the shotgun. It bounces. He picks it up and throws it straight to an open guy. Like, it doesn't bother him at all. Yeah, he said a similar thing happened in high school. That's probably the play he was talking about. And he's not doing that against, you know, local high – he's – I mean, they played a national schedule. They played IMG his junior year. And, I mean, I think they – if I remember this correctly, it was on ESPN. And I, if I remember correctly, they lost. But I mean, he, he showed out in that game. They – that's a not, that's a elite level program. He's doing this at. He's doing it against elite level football players as well. And so the translation there is, is you expect him to be able to do those exact same things at the college level once he's obviously developed and been a, a, developed into a full college quarterback. So it sounds like what we're talking about is like the reason that we're even throwing McCord into the mix here on a somewhat equal level is again there's a lot of things that have conspired here, but it's the way that last year was jacked up. So Miller and Stroud didn't get as much ahead as they would have otherwise, but also he sort of has a profile of like, I'm going to figure it out maybe kind of quickly, Nathan, that he might be, he just might get up to speed in a way, not that he wins the competition, but that like he immediately feels like he's right in the thick of it because he can sort of figure it out. Yeah, and I think that it, it kind of goes back again what I was saying before in relation to C.J. Stroud a little bit, that if, if, if he comes in and looks like the guy who just it, – it, it's they've got to pick a guy to be the starting quarterback on day one, but you've also got to – you're trying to pick the guy who's going to be the best quarterback at the end of the season too. And uh, if you think that it's neck and neck, but that he has something kind of innate, if he has something that makes him kind of more adaptable in the moment or he has that, that coolness – factor and I'm maybe it's McCord maybe it's one of these other two guys but maybe that becomes the tipping point and who wins this job because again it, it, there's some of this is about how much you absorb and how much Ryan Day can kind of mold you to be the quarterback he needs you to be and then how much of it is when um, you're in the the fire and things are going sideways who steps up and makes the play or doesn't make the play makes the other smart decision that helps that team win something you again can't really teach necessarily going in he's in the mix Stephen. right and I think I think it would be very easy to not have the true freshman included in the mix but I think to, I, I is this characterization correct I feel like a lot of what we're doing here is sort of hopefully through interviews through you know going back through the recruitment through reevaluating them as players we're confirming a lot of what we talked about over the past six months that it's Stroud feels like the favorite, but McCord feels like a live underdog. Like he's, this is a guy that do not count him out. And Jack Miller just might be in a tough spot, but man, he's good. Like, does that feel like that? That if Stroud's the favorite man, like just don't make sure you don't eliminate the idea that the new guy wins this. Yeah, he's the one where you constantly have to remind yourself that where we've constantly had to remind ourselves throughout these conversations that, hey, there's another guy coming, and what happens once he starts figuring the playbook out? What happens when he gets that playbook in his hand? And because of how this season played out, maybe it doesn't show up in practices one through five, but then practices six through 15, he starts popping. And then things get interesting because – He's been here long enough. He's gotten into the playbook. As Nathan texted, texted our texters earlier last week, he and the other freshman wide receivers have been getting up in the morning and throwing and doing everything they can to play catch up. What if by midway through the spring, 
Kyle starts popping and then it becomes an interesting conversation. Then it really becomes an interesting three-man battle when they're all on equal footing. All right. I think that was a good breakdown of Kyle McCord. Let's do the other guy real quick. Quinn Ewers. He doesn't even look like he's trying. Like that's the thing. Like you watch this guy's film and it's like, it's like the word I was just was effortless. It's like, I don't know how I would describe him other than that. It looks like he can do whatever he wants and it's easy for him. And he's playing at the highest level of high school football at like in like the most competitive state in the country. And he's not even a senior yet, Nathan. So like, we're not doing this, but like, I, it's a reminder. I think they're going to be in great shape with the winner of this competition. Cause I think they have three really strong candidates. And I do think as we talked about and the two quarterback system thing, Nathan, it's like, it's not, it's not going to be, you have to pick somebody cause none of them are good. Somebody's going to be really good of these three. And it might be more than one is really good. And it's a tough decision. And then Quinn Ewers is going to come in here and be flicking 60 yard bombs on the money out of his pocket, and then I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, somebody has to lose the Super Bowl. Somebody has to be the best team that didn't make the Final Four this year because they ran into the wrong draw or whatever. Maybe that's the best analogy here is that a really good quarterback is going to finish third in this running this year. But you know what? I'm, I'm pretty convinced that maybe a year ago from – year from now, today, we might be having another three-man – uh, conversation again because even if Kyle McCord isn't the one who wins this I think you can very easily sell it to Kyle McCord like man you are right there we love everything about you this guy has the edge of one year where could you be in another year after gone through a season and been in this position but then so then that get that makes him plausible for him to stick around and compete again next spring but now you're throwing in Quinn Ewers on top of that who might just be that kind of unicorn like special uh prospect that just comes along even even more rarely than people like cj stroud and common cord do which is easy to take for granted um because both of them are here right at the moment coming in after justin Fields. so uh, i this is a fascinating storyline, and it's not going to be over at the end of the spring and it's not going to be over on opening day and it's probably not going to be over uh whenever this season ends in 2021 the way that guy that kid plays football is it just matches his personality it's just laid back and yeah all right, I'll go out here. I'll throw 400 yards. Let's just see what happens. But I do think it's interesting. Ryan Day is recruiting at a level where your job is only safe if you win a national title. Anything short of that, you might lose your job. And is it? If, if Ohio State <laughs> wins a national title with a first-year starter or quarterback in 2021, does that guarantee that yeah. yours is not the quarterback in 2022? If you only win by three, you might lose your job. You have to win 42-7, to seven, or there is a chance you might lose your job. I want to bring up real quick, we talked in terms of the wide receiver situation about the the edge that Jackson Smith and Jigba might have had coming in, playing at the level that he did, and that why that was maybe why he emerged first out of that freshman receiver group. And it's made me think, number one, I think that that's, it pl- applies to what you guys are saying about Quinn Ewers, right? That there's a little bit of Texas in his attitude, not just in terms of we think that's how guys from Texas act sometimes with that kind of swagger, but he knows he's playing some of the best college or high school football in the country, really on a, on a weekly basis. And I wonder also, since we just finished talking about common cord, does that factor a little bit into where common cord comes into this conversation for right now? Did he play at a program that was maybe a step above even what Miller and uh, um, Stroud did? And does that help him be ready to maybe even overtake those guys coming in as the true freshman as opposed to the redshirt. 
Yeah, that's why I said what I said earlier, where maybe the region isn't as talent-rich as what Arizona is, because Arizona's got some great quarterbacks, too. I mean, Spencer Rattler is, was the number one quarterback in his class. And then C.J. Stroud coming from California, even if he's not at St. John Bosco or the modern day, he's still playing California uh, high school football. Kyle McCord playing at an elite-level program, even if it is in Philadelphia and playing a national schedule, puts him back on even footing with those guys because he's still playing the same level of competition. Makes me kind of eager for, like, uh, if Kyle McCord wins the job and then it's, like, some South Jersey Philly guy being like, oh, you're going to take my job, Texas boy? Why don't you bring it? Why don't you bring it? We'll see how it goes Philly style. And Quinn Ewers is like, hey, man, I'm just here to compete. You know, like, I'm, I don't know what Quinn Ewers sounds like. He sounds like that. I, I would be. That was like a laid-back Texas guy. And like oh, Kyle yeah. McCord's like ready to punch people in the face every day because he plays football in Philly. I look forward to that because then it'll give us an excuse to have – we'll have like a, um, a taste test on Buckeye Talk. It'll be like the Philly roast pork sandwich with the broccoli rob or whatever against like Texas brisket or, or something like that. We'll have them go head-to-head. And that's how we'll decide who's going to win the quarterback job. I just want to get back to a point where we are back in the Woody and if Quinn Ewers wins the job, I want him to come into one of his press conferences with a cowboy hat on. That's all I want. Is that a possibility? I, I would I, I literally want that. I I mean he hunts deer. His family has a farm in Ohio. I mean he's about as country as it gets. So Okay. I, I, I am I am rooting for that. I want him if, if he wins the job, he has to show up to one of his media availabilities wearing a cowboy hat. I know when uh, when Matthew Baldwin, quarterback who was from Texas who came to Ohio State, was being recruited, um, we were at the Cotton Bowl that year when Ohio state was playing USC. So Landis like went to meet him and they met at Torchy's tacos, which is like some Texas taco place. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I think Matthew Baldwin, like every recruiting interview he did in his whole life, he did at Torchy's tacos. It was like, there were multiple, like, Oh, I interviewed Matthew Baldwin. It's like, what'd you do? We went to Torchy's tacos. So like this, this is like, I think the next step for Buckeye future Fridays is to have recruits on back when we can all get together and like, bring like your local delicacy. Like, let's eat. Or that you guys go on the road and it's a food recruiting road trip. We want to interview recruits at their favorite restaurant. And I think we run to something, Nathan. Breaking news from NBC4 Columbus. Torchy's Tacos is coming to Columbus. Oh! That's a joke. I swear to God. I swear to God. At 10, 18 a.m., two hours ago, two and a half hours ago, today, breaking news. That is, that's a miracle. <laughs> That's a, it's a miracle. miracle having to look at my phone and see it. I did not know that. I had no idea that Torchies was coming. Oh, I wow. did not plot my Torchies story to coincide with breaking news. That's just God at work in, I don't, in the form of tacos. If we so don't play this, our, our first live, our, our next live podcast probably needs to be at this Torchies Tacos whenever it J- opens. Jerry, um, can I get Garrett at Torchies Tacos this summer? <laughs> We got to get a Torchy's Tacos sponsorship now. Yeah, we'll do a recruiting show every Friday at Torchy's Tacos. It'll be like, Torchy's Tacos couldn't deliver Ohio State a starting quarterback, but they can deliver you Buckeye talk. All right, that was good. Opening this spring. I think when we all get vaxxed up, we're going to Torchy's. I like it. Uh, All right, that's our Buckeye Future Friday in my basement with Cheetos and Diet Mountain Dew. Not Diet Mountain Dew. I drink diet. You guys can drink this straight stuff. Thanks, Mom, for having Nathan and Steven make them come over. Thanks for calling their moms and making them hang out with me. Uh, so that was future Fridays because the future is here because we don't anything we talked about with CJ Stroud and Jack Miller today 
was not based on anything in the past. It's like, oh, Jack Miller had one drive in the opener. C.J. Stroud played two. Like, it's, it's all about the future. So the Buckeye Future Friday moniker stays true to what we talked about today. We hope you enjoyed that. Bookmark this. Save it. This is your explainer of what, where we are now heading in to this quarterback competition that will begin when Ohio State opens spring practice on Friday. Also on Friday, Ohio State Oral Roberts. So Nathan and I will be talking with Kerry Combs and Kevin Wilson and a couple players. That's the plan after practice on Friday while Stephen is covering the basketball Buckeyes in West Lafayette. Make sure you are reading cleveland.com slash OSU for all of that. And then we will be here with the Saturday podcast to talk about all of that. There's a lot going on, which means, guess what? Great time to join the text, 614-350-3315 for a free trial. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Lamarise. That was Buckeye Future Fridays. And that was Buckeye Talk. We'll be right back.